0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first Soccer Capital of America World Cup podcast. I am your host, Nate Bucati. We are joined by Connell McCourt and Chad Reynolds as we have a big hour plus of content coming up for you, getting you ready for World Cup 2022. Of course, Soccer Capital of America is basically where we're putting out all sorts of incredible World Cup content for you from Twitter spaces to podcasts. We're going to have phenomenal interviews with people who are in Doha for the World Cup in Qatar and famous former members of the United States men's national team like Peter Vermees. We already had Benny Failhaber on uh, our roster release, Twitter spaces. Uh, and today we're going to have an interview with Grant Wall, Kansas City native and one of the top soccer writers in the country of the United States, and he is in Doha. So we're going to catch up with him and get all the latest as we get you ready. This is going to be our preview of the overall World Cup, and then we got more podcasts coming your way this week to get you ready specifically for the United States and Wales, which is coming up on Monday. So with that, let me bring in uh, the two other members of the podcast crew here, Chad Reynolds. Chad, how are you?
1: I am excellent, Nate. I'm excited for this.
0: Yeah, this is going to be fun. And Connell McCourt, Connell, what's up, man? Uh, not much.
2: Just getting ready here. Pre tournament jitters uh, already. So, getting ready for it this weekend.
0: Okay, so let me lay out the menu for the show. As I said, we're going to have a conversation with Grant Wall, who is in Doha. He's been doing all kinds of work, writing about the, the World Cup itself and the conditions that are going to be there for the fans, that have been there for the workers, some of the controversies around it, but also the competition itself that's coming up. So we'll have a great conversation with him. We uh, we want to talk, Chad, about the World Cup watch parties that are coming up. We're going to give details on that in a moment. Chad Connell and I have gotten into the bracket challenge through Major League Soccer, so we're going to go through our picks to kind of preview each group for you. Just a little thumbnail on what we think uh, really stands out in each one of these groups. We might give you some some fun betting odds and props as well, and, uh, and then maybe some final predictions for how we think this World Cup is going to shake out, because... Once the games start on Sunday, it's going to be hot and heavy after that, and you can take all of our predictions and laugh at them as uh, we're going to be way off on all sorts of stuff. But, But, Chad, let's start off with these World Cup watch parties. The first massive World Cup watch party for us in Kansas City that started it all in the Power and Light District was actually 2010. After the amazing and Donovan goal in that knockout round game, and I wasn't able to go to that one because I was working for the Royals at the time, and they had a game that day, but I remember the p being absolutely packed and seeing the footage of it. So then in 2014, we knew it was going to be a big deal from the jump, and so we had a packed house in the Power and Light District for all three of the group stage games. And of course, the the knockout round game against Belgium. We got to watch Matt Beasler and Graham Zussi play in those games. The place was absolutely lit. And then, of course, there were no World Cup watch parties in 2018, sadly, because uh, the men didn't qualify for the World Cup. There were incredible watch parties in 2019 for the Women's World Cup.
1: Ladies got it done.
0: Yeah. And now we finally get to do it for the men's side again. But this time, it's going to be... Over the holidays, starting on Thanksgiving week, what, what kind of details do people need to know if they want to be a part of these watch parties starting on Monday? All three of these games could be 1 o'clock, by the way, in the afternoon. How do people be a part of these watch parties?
1: Well, that's the that's the interesting thing is it is a little different because it's a fall tournament. It's 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 over the holidays. It's all that going on. So the biggest difference is uh, those watch parties have always been free, always general admission. And they are still free and they are still general admission. But you do need a ticket to get in. And that Black Friday game's the reason that Black Friday, one o'clock in the afternoon, USA, England. It's going to be bonkers down there. So you do need a ticket to get in. Tickets are available at sportingkccom dot com slash WC twenty twenty two. There's all sorts of information on that site. But the big thing, you need a ticket. It's on SeatGeek. It's free. All you got to do is log on and tell it, I want one ticket. I want two tickets. I want six tickets. I've got my whole family. We're doing a siblings thing around Thanksgiving where we're all going down there on Friday. i really excited about that. And then uh, show up early. Gates, were going to open two hours before the matches kick off. So that's 11 a.m. for all three of these group matches. And if you've ever been down there for a Hot Country Nights, Connell, I know you're a huge Hot Country Nights fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you've ever been down there for Hot Country Nights, they're doing the same thing where uh, uh, they're gonna they're gonna you can be in there in the live block before, but but they're gonna make everybody leave and come back in through the ticketed entry. Um, that's a security thing. Gates gonna open two hours before. Get there early. You know, like don't be. Don't be that guy that rolls up at one o'clock on Friday, Black Friday for USA, England, and and then can't get in because uh, there's already 12,000 people there or something like that. So gates are open two hours early. I'm going to get there, you know, two hours, 90 minutes, an hour early. Enjoy some time with friends and family. Maybe have a few uh, alcoholic soda pops (laughs) and uh, and then and enjoy the show that, you know, Nate, you, Ali Hartzell Gray going to be running on the uh, on the stage for this. Right.
0: We are. And uh, it, I mean, that's going to be fun right there. Herzl always brings the energy. Ali's a ball of energy as well. We'll have fun up on stage. And I, I don't know, if we're, are we allowed to start talking about some of the special guests we're going to have? I mean, because the emails we've been exchanging over the last two days really started to get me excited uh, about uh, some of the the special celebrity guests that are going to be making appearances on stage with us for these watch parties.
1: Let's do it. Now's the time, right? Special edition Soccer Capital of America podcast listeners. Go ahead, Nate. It's an exclusive.
0: I mean, it's look, and it's funny because it all makes sense, but it just kind of once again puts into perspective just how, uh, how, sen- why this is the soccer capital of America, right? Um, why uh, Kansas City is the place where these things happen because you're going to be getting appearances from Peter Vermeese. By the way, which I just learned, and I I don't know if you guys knew this, the first American to wear the number ten since 1990 in the World Cup. I don't know who wore before that. How long was the drought before the U.S. even qualified for the World Cup in '90? So really,
1: 1950,
0: yeah. Yeah. So the entire modern era of soccer, Peter Vermees was the first American to wear the number ten for the United States men's national team at the World Cup.
1: That's a fun one. They, back in 1950, you know, the FIFA rules didn't allow for subs. So the 11 guys who started on the field played and it wasn't like you picked the numbers, you know, based on who your creative influence was. It was just numbers one through 11 on the field. And one guy could wear it one match. Another guy could wear it a next match. So really the the first ever true number 10 was Peter Vermese.
0: There you go.
2: I think if memory serves, did uh, the USA beat England in that tournament?
1: They did, in fact.
0: Yeah. They leave it to the Irishman to, uh, to make sure to point that out. I like it. You know, anything, <laughs> some, somebody can beat the English in something. He's going to point it out and know the history of it. But yeah, so Peter Vermees is going to make an appearance down in the power and light district. Benny Failhaber, who would have been my guest if you had said, Hey, what, you know, former sporting Kansas city player, Uh, would have worn the number 10 of the World Cup for the United States. I would have guessed Benny Failhaber, but uh, he's going to join us. Veteran of the World Cup, a man who was on the field when Landon Donovan scored that uh, amazing goal in 2010. And Matt Beasler is going to make an appearance as well, the first Kansan to ever play in the World Cup. And that's just to name a few. We've got other guys coming down, too. We're working on all sorts of appearances from big-time soccer heroes that you have coming down to Kansas City. So it's going to be absolutely incredible. I mean, it is going to be the place to be for all three of these group stage matches so the watch parties again starting on monday usa versus wales one o'clock for the game but get there at least two hours early get signed up for your tickets there's going to be celebrity appearances we're going to have giveaways we're going to party like crazy it's just going to be a lot of fun and that usa wales game might be the game that determines whether or not the americans go through the group it'll probably be the most important of the three games so you want to get started off right off the bat Guys, I wanted to start off with some major storylines for this World Cup before we move into uh, our predictions and have our interview with, with Grant Wall. And so, Conor, I want to start with you because stars always drive these competitions, right? And I don't know how many of us expected to see the likes of what many people think are the two greatest players to maybe ever live in Ronaldo and Messi still going at this point in time but in two very different directions, right, and how it seems to be in the way things are going for each of them. What about that storyline of Ronaldo and Messi back at it, maybe their last time ever in the World Cup?
2: Well, there seems to be a real dichotomy in mood between the two camps. Uh, I mean, Ronaldo coming off that bombshell interview with Piers Morgan where he I mean, he basically run down everyone from the owners of the club to the manager to the chefs and the cooks even got a bashing in it. And so when he left for Portugal duty, it kind of seemed like some of the players were giving him a bit of the cold shoulder. Uh, You've seen Joao Cancelo and Bruno Fernandes. It was a bit of a cold kind of exchange between the two of them and Ronaldo, whereas on the complete flip side, you have Messi, whereas it, it seems like everyone in Argentina, the players, the coaches, the fans, everyone wants to win this World Cup obviously they want to win it just for the glory, but for Messi, it seems like they want to do it for him because he's done everything else. And I mean, look, he probably will go down as the best player that there's ever been, but the one thing people still will hold over his head is he's never won a World Cup, and that's what will probably, in the hearts and minds of some people, specifically Argentinians, will always kind of hold him below Maradona because I don't know if you've ever seen that Maradona 86 squad that won the World Cup, that wasn't a great squad. Maradona dragged them to the World Cup and won it himself, you know, obviously with the two goals against England, the hand of God and the probably the greatest goal ever scored. So it, it seems like he will always kind of be held above Messi for that, specifically. I mean, winning the Copa America last year, it kind of has done a bit for Messi to, to, to push him a bit further towards that. But this kind of seems like this is his tournament and everyone in Argentina are all in for him and for the team. Whereas in Portugal, it kind of looks a bit more you know, they're kind of, if they win it, great, but it won't be, they won't be winning it for Ronaldo.
0: There's two different legacy battles as I see it for Messi. One is, is he the greatest player of his generation? And that battle is with Ronaldo. And then the other one is, is he a greatest Argentinian of all time? And that one is with Maradona, as you laid it out. To me, the one with Ronaldo comes down to, for a while there, Ronaldo seemed to have the leg up because he had one thing that Messi didn't. And that was a, a trophy a major trophy for country and you know when ronaldo got that european championship for portugal that put him ahead but messi all of a sudden late in his career comes back and wins the copa america just this past year so now they're kind of on equal footing there if messi could go win a world cup maybe that's what pushes him you know clearly people will have that debate forever but it's one thing if whichever guy is able to win a world cup seems more realistic that argentina could do that than portugal um, that could push things ahead of him, so I think that is an interesting storyline.
1: That dichotomy too showed itself yesterday in Qatar. Messi goes and scores in a warm-up match. Mm-hmm. You know, Argentina just—they beat somebody what five-nil in a warm-up match. Messi scores. Ronaldo's not training because he's got a stomach bug. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything about this tournament for those two guys is is just opposite ends of the spectrum, and it's it's like two legends of the game, both basically saying this is my last big run. And they could not be going into it on in different paths and different tracks.
0: And who knows? Maybe it all changes when the games start. Right? I mean, that's one of the crazy things. But I, I, I'm not guessing so. I, I'd much rather be in Argentina's position right now than, than, uh, than Portugal's. Now, what about the timing? That's the other big story. That's the next big storyline I want to get to, Chad. Because, look, I I think that people like us, even even people like us, maybe – have had a tougher time getting as ramped up for this World Cup and all the hype that leads up to it compared to when if if it was in June. I mean, I've been forcing myself to listen to certain podcasts and do my research and get ready, and I know I'm going to be super excited when this thing starts up this weekend, but it doesn't feel the same as it does in June when the professional seasons all in Europe are over and you get this kind of downtime to lead up to it and all those things. And of course, here domestically, you're going up against like the heart of the NFL season, Mm and college football and all these other things. What do you think about the way this timing is going to affect this tournament? Maybe for the players as well, who over on the European side are actually in the middle of their season for a change, when that's usually the case with the MLS based players who have a different set of challenges because uh, they're actually having downtime. And are they going to have rust coming into this tournament?
1: It's not just the fans. Normally, we've got four, five, six weeks to build up for this tournament, right? The players do too. Normally, these camps are long. They're they're five weeks mm-hmm. of training, putting in a system, getting in matches. In some cases, it's five days. You know, the, the prim played Sunday, Monday, yeah, Monday, That's right? And Monday, then yeah. so now you've got, and then you've got you know the English players arriving in Doha yesterday. Like it's, it's, it's nuts when you think about it, uh, as we sit here recording this on, on this, on Thursday, pottle come out on Friday. So like, it's nuts. Normally you got a month to prep fans, players, everything. Not at all. In this case, the the teams are coming in. They're going to be colder. You can't get in the tactics that you can normally get in. And then the big storyline or one of the big storylines has been these injuries. All of these guys who pick up little knocks that are hard to come back in time for the tournament. Normally, if you get hurt at the end of the domestic season, you've got that month to recover and put yourself on a roster. But man, we are watching big name after big name after big name go down. Now, we don't know if it's more than usual or less than usual. I mean, The Athletic did a pretty good article breaking it down that it feels like more, but the numbers don't actually back it up. But then you look at the names. And uh, the names on the injuries is the thing that gets me. I mean, let's start with let's start with the big country, France, the defending World Cup champions. They're starting midfield, they're starting central midfield from the twenty eighteen final out. And Golo Conte, Paul Pogba both out hurt. And and you know, say what you will about Pogba and Conte over the last couple of years for club, but man, when they've played for country, they've been spectacular. And, you know, Pogba, how good was Paul Pogba in the knockout stages in twenty eighteen? He was super. And N'Golo Kante is at the height of his game. Those guys both out with soft tissue injuries and unable to play in this tournament. France is probably going to start a 19-year-old Kamavinga and a 22-year-old Schumini in the center of the park as they go to defend their, their World Cup title. And those two dudes are both really talented, but they're really young and it's very different than having the experience of Pogba and Kante. And that was just the start. This week, Francis had two big names pull themselves out of the squad or have to come out of the squad. Presnel Kimpembe goes out with a hamstring injury he's been coming back from. He had to go to Didier Deschamps and say, I'm not ready. Take me off the squad. I can't contribute. I can't help. Pull me from the squad. And then Christopher Nkunku, who, for my money, is one of the most exciting young players in the game, has been tearing up the Bundesliga. And Nkunku goes down with an injury in training in Qatar, mm-hmm. and you're talking about big name after big name just on the defending World Cup champions, and that's before you get into the guys on the Germany's, the guys on you know, I mean, like Timo Werner out for Germany picks up a picks up a uh, a knock a week before the squad is named. For us here at home, Miles Robinson—that's a long injury, but that's a pretty important injury. That Miles Robinson's Achilles injury during the MLS season keeps what everybody presumed was the starting left center back for the United States off the field. And now you're looking at lots of questions about who's going to pair with Walker Zimmerman. Um, and we can just run down the rest of it. Uh, you know, Ben Chilwell out for out for England. Marco Royce out for Germany. Gio Lo Celso out for Argentina. Diogo Jota said it was the most heartbreaking thing of his life to miss this tournament for Portugal. Netherlands missing their captain in Genie Wijnaldum. And, you know, and many people say the heartbeat of that. Netherlands, the national squad, Genie Wijnaldum out, not going to make it. Um, Memphis Depay may not play in the opener because he's still coming back. Lukaku for Belgium may not be back, has only played twice since August. Sadio Mane getting hurt in Bayern Munich's last Champions League match. And and there were questions on if he was going to be named a Senegal squad. Obviously was named. Questions on if he's going to play. Hey folks, Chad here with a sad update. Not an hour after we finished recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon. The Senegal Federation announced that Sadio Mane would, in fact, miss the entire tournament due to injury. They wish him a speedy recovery. Super sad for a really talented player, a guy who had just made the move to Bayern Munich from a wildly successful career at Liverpool. This was going to be a chance for him to show what he's done on the club level, on the international level, and uh, just going to miss the tournament. And, And, you know, they named him to the squad. It was a bit of a surprise, as we mentioned there a minute ago. But uh, unfortunately, not going to be able to make it. And a huge blow to Senegal in the World Cup. And as you'll see here in a little bit, uh, a huge blow to Connell's picks in the World Cup as well. This is a crazy story. Have you guys heard about the Ghana goalkeeper situation? Nope. No. So so Jojo Walakot, who has been the starter at Ghana for, for a long time now, plays in, in uh, English second division. He hurt a finger in his warm-up before his last league match, like a week ago. Ghana's backup was already hurt and out. So Ghana bringing to this tournament three goalkeepers who average age 22 and have a combined 12 caps to the world's largest event. And they're forced to, to, to play. They don't know who the goalkeeper is going to be. It's all emergency stuff. So like it's it's a weird tournament with these weird injuries. That said, the overall numbers of injuries are, as the athletic you know proved out with their article, not higher than normal. And there's always these injuries. These are just kind of, there's a recency bias to these big ones right now, you know? And um, I'm I'm super interested to see how tactically teams approach, knowing that you're going to need to rotate players probably more than you normally do, knowing that you only had, in many cases, a week or less than a week. How does that change the tactical approach to this tournament? Connell and I were talking yesterday. Is it more goals? Is it less goals? I'm super interested to see how that part of this plays out.
0: Yeah, it's all going to be fascinating. And then the the last big storyline that, uh, that we have to talk about is all of the stuff off the field in Qatar, the, the problems with this World Cup being where it is, the, the, the admissions by FIFA that they made a mistake, in, in or, or former FIFA execs anyways, that they made a mistake by making this happen. Um, look, this is something that is not new, in the world of soccer. And I know I've, uh, I've recommended this podcast, Chad Reynolds. I know you've been listening to it, but it's called 22 Goals, a story of the World Cup told through 22 of the biggest goals in World Cup history. Those of us that love this beautiful game and take so much joy in it, um, should we feel guilty? That this is a tournament that has led to thousands of deaths by mar- migrant workers who were treated horribly in putting up the stadiums so that people could enjoy them. That this is being put on in a country where human beings are denied basic rights and um, sometimes reportedly being tortured because of their their sexuality and things like that. Um, you know all of the different moral problems that you have with this. And there's that term now that gets used a lot. Called sports washing, which is when really rich entities, be it uh, be it a you know a Russian oligarch who's buying an English Premier League team, or uh, you know, or or a country that maybe has a lot of um, unsavory things going on, uh, that 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 use something that we all love as a means to make themselves seem more lovable. You know, using their money to hey, look at us. Look at us putting on the World Cup. Look at this. This is going to be a way for us to use a PR campaign to make ourselves look better. And should we feel guilty as fans about that? And it's a a complicated question. It's a tough question. And I think that, you know, I listened to that podcast with Brian Reynolds. I won't be as eloquent as he was when he said it, but the truth of the matter is, this is what happens in the world with beautiful things that humans love. Uh, sinister people oftentimes will get their hands on it and exploit it for their own gain Um, because we love it because it's beautiful. The game of soccer itself is a beautiful egalitarian sport, you know, that is the, and, and the sport itself brings so many people so much joy. Um, There's nothing wrong with us loving that. Uh, How much do you treat the things that are happening how much do you focus on the soccer? And I don't know that anybody knows the right answer to those things, Um, but I do think it's going to be one of the things that just kind of hangs over this World Cup. There's just going to be kind of a cloud there. And, and, And props to the journalists that are there who are willing to tell those stories and make sure that we understand what's going on. Um, And we're already seeing journalists getting bullied in Qatar right now, sometimes for no reason whatsoever, just doing a normal stand-up, which goes to show you that maybe the Qatari authorities are already a little defensive about the treatment that they're going to get from the international media. So I just think that's going to be an interesting storyline to keep an eye on. And I'll say this too, though. I don't know what the World Cup experience, I'm going to be interested to talk to Grant Wall about this, I don't know what the experience is going to be like. You've seen the pictures of the big, you know, the, the, the accommodations, quote unquote, that fans will get to stay in in Qatar. And I got to be honest, like people are starting to call Mm -hmm. it the Fire Festival, Festival World Cup, right? Like, I'll be honest, (laughs) as a fan, it does what I'm seeing portrayed to me does not look like the type of event that I really wish I was going to. I would love to have gone to the World Cup in Brazil. I would love to go to a World Cup in some some country in Europe. This doesn't seem like one that I, I would want to spend my money to go see as a fan. But how much of that is going to be people that are outraged at all the horrible things that have gone on in this World Cup and want to paint a picture for you of how bad it is? And how much is it? It's really bad. I'm just going to be interested to see what the truth is when it comes to what the experience is like for the people that decide to go watch this World Cup in, uh, in Qatar. Uh, So, those those are some of the big storylines. Connell, I know you're you're our resident uh, gambling (laughs) expert. Do you got any prop bets for us that really stand out to you that that might be kind of fun for this World Cup?
2: So, every World Cup, obviously, there's always going to be the teams that we all expect to do well, and coming into it, there's always a team that goes out in the group stages that nobody expects to go out. In the past, it's been uh, France, England, Italy. Even just the last three World Cups, Germany, they've all fell out at the the group stage. And this year, I think that team might be Belgium. Everyone is building Belgium up to be this, you know, this is their chance. I mean, Belgium are always kind of the bridesmaids anyway. But for (laughs) me, with, as Chad said, Lukaku, he's only played four games this season. Eden Hazard hardly played for Madrid. You do have Kevin De Bruyne, who... Can show up and be the best player in the tournament, but they're they've kind of they're struggling with what England struggled with a couple of years ago, and it was this though they were coined the, the golden generation, so it was time okay, let's go. This is our time to win it, and anything but winning it is failure. But when you look deeper into that Belgium team, Alder Vareld and Vertongen, their two centre halves, both play in Belgium. I mean, anybody, any striker, the US, if they were playing them, you would fancy yourselves running against uh those two lads at the back for Belgium so Belgium to go out in the group stage you can get a four to one wow.
0: so plus 400
2: for Belgium to go out and that's just personally I think every tournament there's always that team that goes out and no one expects them to go out I think this year it's Belgium another tip for me I think Uruguay are dark horses and they're three to win to win their group plus 300 they do have Portugal in the group that's probably the biggest uh the biggest challenge that they're going to face, but at plus three hundred, I like Uruguay's odds as well.
1: Uruguay plus four thousand to win the tournament. Like that is that I, I, mm. that is a team that is loaded and with name and with names that you know, and not just names that you know because they're washed up. Like mm-hmm. there are really good players who play for big clubs on that squad. And, and nobody's talking about them. I'm with you, Connell. That's probably my biggest dark horse for this tournament. And, 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 you know, none of us, none of us here, we're all, we're all employed by, uh, by entities that do not allow us to make bets on soccer. But if I was a betting man on the soccer, Mm -hmm. I would be really looking at that Uruguay future like that. That's it's. Do I think they're going to win the tournament? No, do I think they could, and do I like that at plus four thousand? Absolutely.
2: Argentina as well, just for their just for a prop bet for them to go through as well, to, for them to finish first, Poland to finish second. You're getting at seventeen to ten, so it's probably about just over about plus one hundred, plus one ten. Uh, Argentina to go through or to win the group, sorry, and Saudi Arabia who are also in their group, not to win a game. You're getting a plus money as well, so you're getting at at about plus one ten. So there's a bunch of props there. Just shop about if, if uh, as you said, Chad and I, we cannot make bets because we work in this business. But if you shop around, there's a lot of money to be made in this World Cup.
0: So uh, those predictions by Connell could go in stark contrast to some of the <laughs> p- predictions I have for my World Cup <laughs> bracket, which we'll get to here in a little bit. So that's a good teaser there. But first. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a conversation with Grant Wall. Let's find out from a firsthand account what things are like in Doha. Then when we come back, we'll go through our predictions on the group stages. This is our preview edition, Soccer Capital of America podcast for the World Cup with Sporting Kansas City. And we are back on the Soccer Capital of America podcast. This is our podcast number one of the World Cup as we are going through our preview of World Cup 2022. And we are very happy to be joined by our special guest for this episode, a man who, look, we're we're, we're kind of, it's like you're not supposed to give yourself your own nickname, but we've done that here with the Soccer Capital of America, calling Kansas City that. But it's because of so many great reasons, like the fact that the best soccer writer in America is from Kansas City. And yes, I'm pandering right now. Grant Wall is our guest and he's who I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, but, but on live from us, or well, we're recording this right now, but he's joining us from Qatar in front of a yellow wall right now. Our audience can't see you, Grant. They can just hear you. But thanks for joining us. And can you paint the picture for us a little bit? What, where are you right now? And what are things like as you're covering this World Cup in Qatar?
3: Yeah. I got into Doha on Monday. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday and, uh, I've got a wonderful housing situation where I am right now. I'm in a four bedroom townhouse, totally new in a compound here. That's, uh, you know, it was acquired, uh, by my friend, Guillaume Balagay, who arranged all of it through FIFA accommodations. And, um, I feel like it looks like a Literally, my mother-in-law's townhouse in Houston. Um, It's got a nice living room to watch games on the big TV. It's got, uh, the bedrooms are nice. Um, And I'm with uh, three of my friends who are journalists based in Europe, Guillaume Balaguer, Raphael Honigstein, and uh, James Horncastle. So it's a really good group. I, I really do enjoy coming to World Cups and spending time with journalist friends that I don't get to see all that much, and we're all in the same place uh, every four years or sometimes at the Euros. And, uh, uh, I'm only 10 minutes away by Uber, which works well from the U S training site. And I feel like I'm pretty centrally located here in Doha.
0: So I will uh, encourage everybody, if they're not already, to follow Grant Wall on Twitter before Twitter gets burned to the ground. Um, (laughs) Grant Wall is the Twitter handle, but he's got so much great content. GrantWall.com. Highly encourage you to to listen to his podcast series, to read all the stuff that he's writing. You've been covering this World Cup from the standpoint of the -the off-the-field stuff that we'll get to going back quite some time now. That's not just since you got here to Doha. And, and following you on Twitter just about an hour before we started recording this, I saw you uh, tweeting about the news that Jack Warner uh, has lost his appeal, is you know, going to be extradited to the United States in the FIFA corruption case. It's kind of timing right now considering all this backdrop that's around uh, the World Cup. And so I want to ask you this, Grant, because I know you're, a, you're a, obviously you're a soccer fan. We love the game. The reason we're into this is because we love the sport. But there is this dark cloud hanging over it. So I'm going to ask you to tell me how much of my emotional energy should I spend thinking about the bad stuff around this or the moral conundrums? And how much of my emotional energy should I spend just thinking about the soccer? It's a tough question, isn't it?
3: It is, but I, I I don't want to tell you how to feel. I think that's, you know, in, in my journalism, I'm covering the soccer here. I've also covered the human rights in detail here. I made a special trip to Qatar in February and all I did was mm-hmm. speak to migrant workers here at 14 FIFA hotels and wrote about what they told me. Um, but I'm going to be following and covering every single game of this world cup and talking about the soccer too and so that's the decision i've made but everyone can make their own decision about how they want to feel about this world cup and i I do run into a lot of folks who are conflicted soccer fans even some soccer journalists about you know i'm not sure how i feel about all of this you know there's uh, there is a, a human rights story here. And, uh, you know, The Guardian published that since uh, Qatar got the World Cup in 2010, you've had at least 6,500 migrant workers die here. And not all of those are working on World Cup related projects, but a vast Majority of the infrastructure projects in this country are somehow related to the World Cup, including building the new metro system, all the roads. They literally built cities out of the desert since I was here in 2013. I remember in 2013 when I came here for a story, I literally went to the site of where the World Cup final will be, and it was desert. It was sand. We took a picture Mm -hmm. of it and we posted, you know, that was part of our Sports Illustrated story. Like this is going to be where the World Cup final takes place in nine years. And now there's an amazing stadium there and they've literally built a city where there was sand nine years ago. And that's how things work in this country. They spent $200 billion on infrastructure and everything preparation-wise for this World Cup. And that's by far... The most on any sporting event in history.
0: Man, it's it's just staggering stuff when you talk about it in that regard. And so, one of the things I'm curious to ask you about because what we're already seeing is when, when you're on social media, little clips and glimpses of. Maybe the way other journalists are being treated in Qatar right now. What are the amenities going to be like? People are up up in arms about what the beer sales are going to be like. How is the LGBTQ plus community and signs of support for people like that? How are they going to be treated in Qatar? And I always am a little, I just take everything I see on social media with a little bit of a grain of salt because you just get these little clips that come out of context. So what have you encountered so far when it comes to all of that? How do you see this thing playing out from some of those standpoints for this World Cup? I
3: mean, There's still a lot of questions about how this might work and how many incidents we might have where situations get escalated when they shouldn't. I had my own small situation at the media center just picking up my accreditation earlier this week where I was waiting in line and very innocuously just took a picture of the World Cup slogan on the wall. Didn't think anything of it. And then the security guard came over and said, no pictures allowed. And there weren't any signs saying that anywhere. And then I looked at him and he, he escalated. He said, kindly delete from your phone, sir. And I've never had that happen anywhere. And I've been to a lot of authoritarian countries over the years. And so we sort of had a little bit of a stare down and eventually he turned and walked away and I didn't delete the the picture, but like, it's very small there, but it's also potentially meaningful in the sense that what if that's a situation somewhere in this tournament when someone's wearing a rainbow flag mm-hmm. and the protocols say that they're not supposed to be stopped, detained, questioned or anything, but like, what if they are? And I do think security guards and, and people in power here are, and the people, just ordinary people are wired to have situations where it, it, they respond to it unlike it would happen in other places, like delete, telling, demanding someone delete a photo from their phone of something totally innocuous. And that's what's got me concerned is that the actual interactions that take place on the ground, you know, what if you've got a fans who've had a few beers, you know, like Mm -hmm. situations could escalate on both sides. And so you hope that security forces here just don't do that. They're not supposed to, but there's a lot right now that we don't know about how things are going to play out.
0: We're visiting with Grant Wall. And again, I encourage you to follow all of his great stuff at grantwall.com. Um, what about the fan amenities? We've seen the pictures of these. You talk about building cities in the desert. They've built up these little residential areas where I don't know how much money it costs to stay in what looks like a little bit of a, of a box car or something like that. What do you think it's going to be like for the fans? What, what is that experience going to be like for this World Cup?
3: You know, there were some fire festival vibes coming out of some of those photographs of shipping containers, you know, in the desert and some of the tents we've seen set up. And I heard from a, some U.S. military people who've actually spent time in those type of shipping containers in the Middle East. And and they were basically saying, don't get one near the public restroom. Um, <laughs> a lot of people get sick. Um, that happens at world cups all the time. Uh, you have to try and avoid it. Um, in some said it wasn't actually that bad. So I, I am curious to see what some of the takes are. It seems like $200 a night for a shipping container is sort of steep, but, um, you know, I know a lot of the American outlaws are staying on cruise ships, which are being used for housing in, uh, in Doha. Um, and, and there's actually more hotels available than people thought there would be. I think FIFA has released a few blocks at different times, and so it's got me wondering, as I always do at the start of a World Cup, are we going to see some, you know, are, are we going to see full stadiums in every game? We may not. I think last I checked, there were tickets available for USA Wales still.
0: Hmm. And and that brings me to the soccer part because I haven't even really asked you a real like soccer question yet. Um, it, and, and let's, let's go right into the United States. I mean, I made the comment earlier on our show that I think this isn't some groundbreaking idea that I just came up with, but a lot of people feel like this game against Wales could be the most important game, most likely will be the most important game in the group stage for these young Americans. I'm curious what your th- you've covered the U.S. in soccer for so long. What's at stake for this U.S. national team, this young group of players, how important is what we're about to watch from, and boy, that's a tired question, isn't it, for the future of American soccer, but like, what is at stake in your opinion? How are you seeing this for the United States?
3: Well, because the U.S. missed the World Cup in 2018, it's been a long time, and I think there's a real feeling among the U.S. players, these young guys, that they want to get some respect for U.S. men's soccer that has been lost and that's a pretty powerful incentive i think so clearly they have the talent i guess the question is all but one of them you know have never played in a world cup before and so how will they respond to that i think they're capable of of doing some really impressive things in this tournament i also have gotten to feel like weston mckinney is a player in particular whose performance can vary on the size of the game he can look yeah. pretty um, disinterested sometimes, like in that Japan-friendly in September and just not be good. But then both with Juventus and with the U.S., he, he really does show up for the big games. So I think I'm looking for that as long as he's healthy enough to start, which is still a little bit of a question. Um, but I agree with you. This Wales game is really important, and the U.S. has to get a result. I think, you know, get at least a point, but preferably three points. You know, you don't want to come out on zero points needing to get points against England because that'll put you in a position you don't want to be in.
0: Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting. Greg Berhalter has has not really shied away from that. He's, he's said, yeah, this is, we know what the numbers say about, you know, that, that first game of the World Cup and the percentages of the teams that go through if they win versus the teams that lose. Uh, So he's not hiding from it. So we'll see on Monday with that. Hey, Grant, before we let you go, and again, we really appreciate how generous you've been with your time. What about maybe another storyline or two? Is there something about this World Cup in particular that going into it, and I know things can change based on what starts happening in the games, but as you look at it going in, can you give me maybe a storyline or two that you're particularly excited about watching at this World Cup in terms of the soccer on the field?
3: You know, I I think we've gotten to a point now where there's starting to be a critical mass of World Cups showing that the gap between the European teams and the rest of the world, including the big teams in South America, has just grown and grown. And if I'm Brazil or Argentina, I'm under a lot of pressure to win this World Cup Mm -hmm. because the last time a South American team won the World Cup was 2002. It's been 20 years. Brazil did it then. They like to think of themselves as the greatest soccer country in the world. They've won five World Cups. But that 7-1 loss that Brazil had at home in the semis in 2014 to Germany is sort of exhibit A of what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. You know, the all four semifinalists in 2018 were from Europe. And so Argentina and Brazil have very talented teams here. And if you listen to... Experts are two of the three favorites to win the tournament. And so my question is, is this tournament going to show that that's actually accurate or is it just another example that South America has really fallen behind? The rest of the world has fallen behind a few teams in Europe.
0: Yeah. Maybe the rest of the world's always been behind, but South America hasn't been. So they've fallen behind. You know, I think that's a fantastic point with the talent that's on the roster for Brazil. And this, the 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 run of form that Argentina have been on coming into this competition, it doesn't seem like there's any excuses for them to not make a good run and uh, and see if they can go toe to toe with these big boys from from Europe. I think it's all fantastic stuff. I wish we could talk with you longer, Grant, but I know you're busy, so I'll wrap you up with this. Tell everybody where they can get your content. You know, plug all your stuff. We want people to follow you and, and get all the great stuff you're going to be doing from uh, from Qatar this uh, this whole month.
3: My big thing is grantwall.com. That's where my writing is. It's a site I started a year ago. I'm covering things the way that I used to at traditional print Sports Illustrated for more than 20 years in ways that I kind of think Sports Illustrated doesn't even really do much of anymore. And that means just in-depth magazine style stories, feature stories, but also off of big games and Uh, I have a nice travel budget. I went to all the U.S. World Cup qualifiers. I'm here in Qatar for the entire tournament. And my paying subscribers allow me to do that. And the site's really taken off in a year. And uh, I'll be covering the Women's World Cup in, uh, I guess it's uh, July, August of next year. So that's not far away. And I'm having the time of my life uh, right now being my own boss and uh, producing what I think in the last year is the best work, best year of work I've ever had.
0: Well, I'm a subscriber and I, you know, I'll give it, I'll give it a a testimonial right here. If you, if you want to get some great, you know, on the ground uh, reporting from what's going on in Qatar, I think you just got a little taste of it right here. Check it out. Grantwall.com and that's G-R-A-N-T-W-A-H-L. Grant, thank you so much for the time. And maybe we'll, I don't know how busy you'll be. We we, we might hit you up again later on in the World Cup and uh, and touch base again if that's all right with you.
3: Yeah, I'd like that. Thanks for having us.
0: So from Qatar, there is Grant Wall. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be rejoined by Chad Reynolds and Connell McCourt, and we'll go through our predictions, which will be completely wrong for all the group stages right after this with our Soccer Capital of America inaugural podcast, or I guess I don't know what you call that. Is it the opening podcast for the World Cup? Grant's better at words than me. We'll be back right after this uh, Soccer Capital of America podcast. As we continue with our Soccer Capital of America podcast to get you ready for the World Cup 2022, Nate Katie Connell McCourt, and Chad Reynolds with you again. We're going to go through our picks really quickly. We, uh, we've we all joined this MLSsoccer.com uh, Qatar Quest Bracket Challenge and filled out our brackets. And we're going to go through our group stages and how we have all this uh, shaking out right now, guys. And uh, we'll start off in Group A. And in Group A, you've got the Netherlands, Ecuador, the home country of Qatar, and Senegal. And Chad, I'll start with you. How do you see this uh, group shaken out?
1: Uh, for me, it's 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 a little bit chalky. I, I think the Netherlands is the best the best squad in this group. I think Senegal is a dangerous squad, especially if Sadio Mane is healthy. I do think that Qatar gets a win or a point or something here and ends up in third, and and Ecuador uh had a bit of a rocky road i I, to me this is netherlands senegal and then everybody else is fighting for third place what do you have connell yeah
2: i have very similar i have holland to finish at the top senegal second ecuador i think are just a bit too young uh they the brazilian coach tite has tipped them to be uh dark horses for this tournament but i just think they're a bit too young qatar unfortunately for them i think they're going to follow south africa as the second host nation to ever drop out in the group stages
0: I have the Netherlands winning this group, but I have Qatar finishing in second. Wow. wow! They, they have been gearing. I've watched this Qatari team play a few times, and they have been gearing up for this World Cup. Their entire roster plays on three separate teams in Qatar, on a club level, they have been gearing this thing up. I, I see this as a team that's based on organization. They understand each other well. I think there's going to be a huge. You talk about the timing thing, Chad, with this this tournament and teams not having not having the chance to work together and develop that chemistry. That won't be a problem for Qatar. Neither will the climate, which I think will be a major problem for a lot of these other countries as well. So I'm I'm, I'm going with Qatar to finish second. And get through the group. We'll see. That's kind of a that's a dark horse pick on my part. Now let's move on to Group B. This is the United States group: England, USA, Wales, Iran. What do you have, Chad?
1: Uh, I'm so torn, heart and head here, but <laughs> I, I I really do think England wins this group. I think top to bottom they're the best. They're the best team uh, in terms of skill. They've got injury issues, and if the U.S. can pip them on on Friday. Uh, who know? Who knows? Like all, all bets are off. But for me, it's England, USA, Wales, and Iran. And maybe I'm just sliding Iran more than I should. But I think that the other three teams are a little stronger.
0: Connell,
2: yeah, I have it exactly the same as Chad: England, USA, Wales, and Iran. Uh, Wales aren't as good as the USA or England, if it shakes out that way, I think that's the way it'll end. But the USA, they can definitely get at England. I think they can definitely get a draw out of England. But I think top to bottom, as Chad said, they're so stacked. Their squad is so good. So I I imagine they'll progress out of the group as group winners.
0: We all have it the same way, England, USA, Wales, and Iran. The only caveat I want to throw out there is I am a little worried about this group for the United States. And maybe this is just me getting nervous before the big competition because I see what's at stake. But I hear everybody talking about how how the United States should advance through the group, and I agree with that, but it almost implies that there's no danger here. And Wales are a dangerous side. With somebody like Gareth Bale on your team and the history of playing in their first World Cup since, what was it, 1938, 1958, whatever it was, you know, it's been forever for them. And uh, I I just think that makes them a dangerous team. And then you've got all the geopolitical stuff between the United States and Iran. I think that's going to be a heated match as well. So I've got the same as you guys, but I do think it's going to be a tougher group for the U.S. than maybe some people realize. Okay, let's move on to Group C. Argentina, Poland, Mexico, and Saudi Arabia. What do you have here, Chad Reynolds?
1: This is the one. I think, you know, Connell said Belgium's the disappointing club, potentially, or disappointing nation. For me, I think this is the one where Mexico crashes out. They've what? They've made it to eight straight round of 16s or something like that, and they they keep getting knocked out on the round of 16. I don't think they make it there. I actually think they might finish fourth in that group. So I've got Argentina, Messi, uh, again, another stacked squad. Um, getting through Poland, getting through, and then Saudi Arabia and Mexico. I think Saudi Arabia can steal some points. Again, I have the same as chat. I have Argentina finishing top. I think
2: Mexico also, yeah, they're they're in very poor health, mentally and physically. It seems like a lot of public opinion is against Tatar Mattino. Uh Raul Jimenez doesn't look like the same player. Irving Lozano is going to have to come up big for Mexico if they want to do anything with Jesus Corona not being able to play for the tournament. So I have Poland, who I think just have the edge over Mexico with Alexa Lewandowski and Zielinski, both playing really well in Europe at the minute, and then Saudi Arabia at the bottom. So it's Argentina, Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia for me.
0: Got the same thing. Um, I'm hoping that uh, the motherland for me, Poland, actually does well. They showed horribly the last World Cup, and I want to see Lewandowski get to a knockout round game. Um, You know, He's one of the biggest stars in the world of soccer, but his teammates have let him down when he's gotten to the World Cup stage in the past. Uh, So I think that Poland versus Mexico game is going to determine who gets to go through. I'm with you guys. I think just Mexico just seems to be in disturbing form right now. So I'll take the Polish in that one. All right, let's move on to Group D. France, Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. Connell, this time I'll start with you. Who do you have winning Group D? How do you see this thing shaking out?
2: Well, this is probably my biggest kind of shock of the tournament because I have Denmark winning the group. Uh, I have France finishing second. And uh, or sorry, Tunisia finishing third and Australia finishing fourth. I just think Denmark are they go under the radar and they're very, very quality side, all over the park. France, as Chad mentioned at the top, they're very beat up. So it's I think that is the one that is the, the dark horse kind of in the group stages. Denmark progresses through as the champions of the group and France slide through in second. What do you have, Chad?
1: I uh, I think Connell and I have spent more time talking about this group than any other group <laughs> in this tournament so far. We've had a ton of fun looking at it. Uh, to me, it, I, I, the only thing I switch is is France and Denmark. I think um, I think France does have just quality across the board, even if it's young and inexperienced. Denmark gets through. People people talk like Denmark didn't make a deep run in the Euros a year ago, you know. Um, and they did that without their best player, who by the way, is back. He seems healthy, christian Eriksen, and he and he's playing super well. That's a loaded Denmark squad. Um, but uh, but I do think France get, pips the group, then Denmark, and I, you know, toss a coin Australia and, and Tunisia. I've got Australia, third, Tunisia fourth.
0: Yeah, I've got France and Denmark going through as well. France is beat up, but that that's. To me, France and Brazil have the two deepest rosters of any teams in this World Cup, and they can win with young guys. They did it. The, I mean, how old was killing Mbappe last 19, time right? around? You know, I don't think these young guys from France are are intimidated, even the young ones. They've got so much talent. So I got them winning that group.
2: Just on Mbappe, just while we're throwing out props there, for him to get two or more goals in the group stages is minus 138. So you're not exactly getting your money back, but you think he's going to score two for
1: 100%. Yeah, but that's easy money.
0: Easy money, e- easy money. All right, let's go on to Group E, guys: Germany, Japan, Spain, and Costa Rica. Uh, Chad Reynolds, what do you have here? I'm
1: going chalk: Germany, Spain, Japan, Costa Rica. I love the Ticos. I, I think that that that's a club that or a squad that fights really, really hard. They always have. They're just so much better in CONCACAF play because of the home field advantage than they are when they get into these big tournaments. So, uh, Kaylor Navis might be the best goalkeeper in the tournament, by the way. But, and he shows that time and time again, but I just think it's Germany, Spain, Japan, Costa Rica. Germany's a machine, guys. You look at that roster, absolute machine. Connell? Yep, I have it the same.
2: Germany, Spain, Japan, Costa Rica. Just Spain and Germany are both young teams. I just think Germany are that bit... A bit more advanced than, than Spain are at the minute. they have got Jamal Musiala, who's playing lights out at the minute for Bayern in the Bundesliga. I think he's going to have a very good tournament. Japan are usually very attacking, but they don't really seem to be under their newer coach. So I have them finishing third. And Costa Rica, just they're the oldest squad in the, in the, in the tournament. I, I can't really see them doing much. I think they're going to crash out.
0: I'm a little disappointed in you, Connell, as a Celtic fan going against Japan because there's so much talent, you know.
2: Well, Kyogo and Hatate didn't get picked. They only picked one player, and it was Dyson Maida. And I kind of that kind of tells you how Japan are going to want to play because he's so fast. They're going to want to play everything on the counter. They're just defend, sit back, sit back, and try and hit you on the counter. And in these in these big games, I just think quality shines through. And Germany and Spain are just too good.
0: I'm going to take Japan to finish wow. second. I've got Germany first, but I'm going to go with the organization and hard work and discipline of Japan uh, because again, I think sometimes that makes a difference when we're talking about a competition where these teams haven't had much time to work together and develop chemistry. Okay. Let's go to group F Belgium, Croatia, Canada and Morocco. Connell. I'll go with you first.
2: Yeah, I have, uh, as I said at the start, I think the biggest shock is that Belgium won't progress through the groups. Uh, I have Croatia winning that. I have Canada, our neighbors to the north here, finishing second. Belgium finishing in third. And Morocco finishing in fourth. I just think Belgium, as I said, for those reasons, I think that they are going to be the team that shocks everyone by crashing out and Canada actually impressed me. They're very unpredictable. Alfonso Davis is fit to play. So it just seems like they have a mo- lot of momentum going for them. Croatia, obviously, everyone knows what they bring. They probably have the best midfield in the entire tournament with Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic still playing well. So I think those two will progress to Belgium will finish just above Morocco.
1: Chad? Uh, for me, Croatia is a- another dark horse in this tournament, as Connell said. Best midfield probably in the world. Can they score goals? If they can score goals, they're going through easy. Um Belgium and Canada fighting for that second spot. I think the experience, all these Belgian guys have done it. Nobody on Canada has. I think that that results in a goal differential advancement as the second place team, and that leaves Morocco finishing third or fourth.
0: I am the exact opposite of you guys. <laughs> I love it. Because, because I have Croatia crashing wow. out. And I hope I'm wrong about this because I'm going to be going down to St. John the Baptist oh, Social yeah. Club and church in uh, on Strawberry Hill where I grew up to hang out with all my Croatian buddies to watch that match or watch those matches in the group stage. And they do have a tremendous midfield. But I just kind of feel like you know they made that amazing run in the World Cup last time around. I'm kind of banking on a Super Bowl type hangover, mm-hmm. like you see from the teams that finish runner up in the Super Bowl. And Belgium, I think they just they have a purpose because they've had the pressure this golden generation for so long that they're going to make a run. And I love the attacking prowess of this Canadian team. I think they're maybe the most underrated team in this tournament when it comes to the actual talent that they have on the field. Maybe this is a little CONCACAF bias on my part, but I I want somebody from CONCACAF to advance to the knockout groups outside of the United States. I'm going with the Canadians. All right, let's go to Group G. And Connell, I'll start with you here. It's Brazil, Switzerland, Cameroon, and Serbia.
2: Yep, I have Brazil winning it. I, they're my favourites to win the tournament. Um, they've and let's be honest, they haven't played in a group stage and won it since 1978. Sorry, they haven't not won the group since 1978. Strongest squad in the competition, I think hands down, they are the favourites. I have the Swiss going through the second. They're like temperamentally, I think they're just a bit better than Serbia. Serbia, I watched a lot of. They were in Ireland's group for the qualifications, and they're just really gung ho. No defense at all. They just try and go all-out at attack. But without Mitrovic, who might be out, and Vlahovic is also struggling with injury at the minute, I just can't see Serbia finishing above Switzerland. So I have Brazil, the Swiss, Serbia, and then Cameroon at the bottom. I just think they are they haven't had good preparation the way up to the tournament, under, under par defense and coach. So I just think they're going to crash out.
0: What do you have, Chad?
1: I'm going the other way. I think Brazil wins the group in a walk, but I, I've got Serbia going through. I think this is going to be a high-scoring tournament. Maybe I'm just hoping and wishing and rooting for. I think this is going to be a high-scoring tournament where those teams that try to defend, like a Switzerland has historically, don't have the success that they normally have. So I think Serbia kind of bullies their way through this group, and and they advance with Brazil. Uh, Cameroon, I think, might finish third.
0: I've got Brazil, Switzerland, Cameroon, Serbia. I think Brazil, as I said earlier, has the deepest roster They skate through this group. I like Switzerland a little bit, so they're going to move on, in my opinion, as well. Finally, guys, Group H. We heard you guys talk about Uruguay, Ghana, Portugal, and the Korea Republic. These are the four teams in Group H. Chad, give me your uh, rundown here.
1: Uruguay, my big dark horse, going to win the group. Portugal, going to get through in second. They're going to fight through all that that stuff that's going on. That's still a talented squad. Get through in second. Korea going to finish in a disappointing third. I think they think they can, they can pip it and get into the second spot here. Uh, and then Ghana going to finish fourth. Obviously, we talked about their goalkeeping issues.
0: What about you, Connell?
1: Well, I
2: was unaware of the goalkeeping issues, so I have Ghana finishing third in this group. <laughs> but... I do have Uruguay winning the group, Portugal finishing second. Portugal, they are a good team. Like They have really good squads. But at, at these tournaments, they've only won 10 of the last 27 competitive games in these tournaments. So they, they do kind of like to upset sometimes. Uruguay, I have finishing top because they're just chaos. You know, big Darwin Nunez up top. You don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't even know what he's going to do. They have Valverde, older Olderhead, Cavani and Suarez. I just think they have enough to get them through. And as, uh, as Chad said, they're to win the group. They're plus 300. So... Pretty good i have south korea finishing rock bottom of the group don't really hold out much hope for them usually free fast flowing team but it hasn't really seemed to be that way but and with son's injury as well it seems to have blighted the preparation slightly so i have them finishing bottom
0: I've got Uruguay finishing first as well. I didn't know about this Ghana goalkeeper situation either, and I've actually got them going through <laughs> to the second round as a second seed. So we'll see. I got faith in these young goalkeepers that they're going to they're run out there. And Portugal, I think they're just they, – they got too much turmoil uh, on their team. So that's one of my dark horse dark horses to get knocked out in the uh, in the group stages and then Korea finishing last so.
1: She wasn't able to join us today for this podcast and this pick segment, but I was able to get our good friend and co-host Ali Trost Martin's picks for the group stages as well. So we can add those in. I know everybody at home is tracking them on their own spreadsheets to to check us later uh, and how wrong we all are. But, uh, but Ali Trost Martin's picks for the world cup that we will add into um, the picks from Nate Connell and myself. Let's start with group a Ali has the Netherlands first Ecuador coming in second group B Ali is the only one of us to pick the United States to top its group with England coming in second. So big results needed from this Wales match on Monday and then the big Black Friday match to make that happen. Uh, group C, Argentina and Poland in that order from Ali. I think we all had Argentina and Poland in Group C. Group D, France and then Denmark. Every single one of us really looking at that Danish team to get through. Group E, Ali flipping the script a little bit on us. She has Spain winning the group and Germany coming in second in that group. Ali's picks for Group F Belgium, the golden generation, the end of the golden generation, coming in first, winning that group with Canada, our neighbors to the north, in second. For Group G, Ali has got Brazil and Switzerland joining Nate in his picks for that group. And Group H, Ali's got Portugal, Cristiano Ronaldo, and all the turmoil in that camp, topping that group with Uruguay coming in second. So those are Ali's picks as well. We can add those to our list.
0: So that is our predictions. A little thumbnail for you guys on the group stages. I want to remind everybody before we sign off here today that we're going to have another pod coming out in just a couple of days, specifically focusing on the United States and Wales. Peter Vermees is going to be our special guest on that podcast, so you won't want to miss that either as we get you ready for what could very well be the most important game for the United States in this World Cup, the first World Cup they will have played in in eight years. So that's going to do it for us on this edition. Remember, you got to stay tuned to the podcast channel, Soccer Capital KC. If you follow us there, you'll see all the content because we'll have – You know, game day content, all that stuff put out there for everybody on a consistent basis. So follow Soccer Capital KC on Twitter, and you can keep up to date on all of that stuff as well. We will talk to you again soon here in just a couple of days with our big preview of the USA and Wales. That's going to do it for us this time. See you next time on the Soccer Capital of America podcast.